Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Happy holidays, and thanks so much for making 2017 a great year for the uh, Bill Press Show. Of course, we're taking the week off, but we wanted to bring you some of our favorite interviews from 2017, along with some very special programming that I and our team have put together for all of you to enjoy during this Christmas holiday. We certainly hope 2017 was a big year of resistance for all of you, and we wish you a happy new year and promise we will keep the resistance alive with your help during 2018. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in on this holiday week. We are not live, but we're taking a moment to talk about some of our favorite stories, some of the most important stories, some of the biggest stories from 2017 all week long. And we are doing this today with our friend. He is the executive director at Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. He's been in studio with us before. Uh, sometimes getting high. We're not getting okay. high today. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about uh, the year in pot. Wait, we're not. Well, well I mean, you you can in there, Jamie. I mean, if uh, you want if you, you want to get anything? high, you can. I, mean, I didn't bring anything. But if you've got morning. something, you got to share it. I'm sorry, uh, I didn't bring anything today. But we are spending the whole week talking about the biggest, most important stories that are near and dear to our hearts. And so, Eric, uh, thanks for coming in, man. Always a pleasure. It. Great being here. Talking about pot in the age of President Donald Trump is a lot different. Than how we've talked about pot in the past, right? Yeah, uh, it's you know it's been a year, um, and it's almost been an endless will he, won't he, particularly yeah. when it comes to what Attorney General Sessions is going to do uh, with the eight states that have fully legalized marijuana and the thirty states with medical marijuana. Uh, granted, we have not seen that boot come down um, and take firm action, but we've been seeing a really horrifying trend in where all this is going um, through their signaling and messages and backdoor dealings that we're not through this yet. Um, people started to think, you know, since we're about a year into the administration, uh, maybe we're in the clear, but that couldn't be further from the truth at this point. That I think applies to a lot of different issues. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that there has been a learning curve. Not that I think that Donald Trump is going to change his ways, <laughs> but I think that they're just getting a little more diabolical with figuring out how to make things happen. Um whether it's pot or repealing of of sort of legacy laws from Obama or, or, or things like that, but um, let's let's back up for a second. I want to start first of all about the movement that was made in the era of, of President Barack Obama, because I think we saw uh, the relaxation of marijuana laws at a 
breakneck speed. Um, and I've been a fan of normal for a long, long time. And I know normal has been around for a very, very long time. And I think that when you all started, um, we were sort of, sort of starting to get to a place that, that normal kind of envisioned when they, when they were started all those years ago. And I wasn't sure that I would have seen it in my lifetime, but here we are. You mentioned there are eight States where it's fully legal, 30 States, 30 States with medical, with medical, um, so with all that movement that happened under Barack Obama and just around the country, how much of that do you feel is safe right now? Like how much of that was made permanent or? Well, that's the thing. Um, essentially, uh, as far as the federal government is concerned, uh, none of this is permanent. Uh, we're completely operating under the Cole memo out of the Department of Justice, which was the set of guidelines on how the federal government and you know people at the Department of Justice would interact with states that have reformed marijuana laws. Mm-hmm. And that was you know the basic things: uh, make sure they're not selling it, if they're not selling it to kids, if they're not diverting it into criminal elements, stuff like that. Kind of like um, we do with alcohol. Yeah, and, a lot like we and, do with alcohol. And cigarettes. And... But again, temporary memo become, coming from the Obama's deputy attorney general. And by and large, under him, uh, that was abided by, uh, especially at the end of the term. Um, certainly, he had his issues with marijuana in the beginning um, where he was threatening crackdowns and um, having issues with medical in California and the like. But for the last several years since we legalized Colorado and Washington State, they left us alone, um, yeah. and that led to this prol- proliferation we've seen um, to, that got us to where we are today with those kind of numbers. That's what happens when you elect a Choom Gang president. <laughs> the Choom Gang, <laughs> uh, you know. You just... But I think, as you pointed out, the problem is this did happen under Obama. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Donald Trump doesn't seem to like to keep anything he did. It's uh, it's like that episode of Seinfeld where he's kind of like where George decides to do the opposite of all <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> of right. all his instincts. Exactly. Um, so he's basically just looking anything that has Obama's name on it. Um, it seems he wants to do the opposite, um, and hopefully it doesn't get to that point on marijuana. But uh, for instance, uh, the Warbacher Far Amendment, um, now the Warbacher Blumenauer Amendment, basically restricted the Department of Justice from using any funds to go after medical marijuana. That didn't cover fully fully legal states, but medical was safe, and we've been renewing that since 2014. Uh, unfortunately, when it came up earlier this year. Uh, we had Jeff Sessions lobbying House Republicans to oppose this this amendment to the budget. And then when he was ultimately signed, it was in the budget that existed until about this week. Uh, and Donald Trump issued a signing statement uh, that basically declared, I believe if I don't like this and want to go against it, it is in my constitutional authority to do so. Oh uh, so even if it sticks, um, it's clear he's kind of giving himself some wiggle room uh, if he wanted to act against it. Uh, and then we've seen... Now we're running going through this whole gamut. Will the government stay open because they haven't approved a budget? Right. Um, we got a continuing resolution uh, just the end of last week that had our protections for medical in it. But will that end up in the longer term budget uh, process is the big question uh, that a lot of marijuana supporters are looking at right now. Oh, man. So that could just I mean, that could totally even if it does get through, like that could be something that Donald Trump just doesn't even recognize. Yeah, he could just totally ignore it. Uh, if it doesn't go through, certainly the you know the chains are off uh, Jeff Sessions to do any number of things that uh, would either really just put a huge chill on this industry or potentially dial back our progress immensely. OK, we've mentioned his name a couple of times here during the show. Jeff Sessions, Jefferson Beauregard, Beauregard Sessions, the third, the third. 
Um, certainly no fan of med- uh, medical marijuana, med- marijuana on any level. No. <laughs> uh, he thinks that people who smoke marijuana on uh, uh, for any reason are, are generally bad people. <laughs> um, he... He has a history of going on record and saying that, like, if he, if it were up to him, he had his druthers. If he had his druthers, <laughs> y'all would not be smoking any of this green stuff. Um, well, I mean, he is in a p- position where he can make something happen about this. It's so, it's so interesting to me because he's been so caught up in his own scandal with being tied to the Russia uh, collusion stuff and the fact that Donald Trump seems to hate him, mm. um, which is probably not good. Uh, but, like, we haven't seen much movement on it yet. But, again, as we point out, like, this this is just the first year. It is. And even just last week it came out, he was having closed-door meetings with some of our biggest opponents about our issue, uh, people like Kevin Sabet from Project Sam, um, and other folks who are big prohibitionists had a closed-door meeting to discuss marijuana policy with Jeff Sessions. Uh, We certainly weren't invited into that discussion. Um, And he was telling them, I think, you know, the American people have been greatly misled on marijuana. They don't understand how dire its impact will be on society. Uh, So he's the feedback he's getting is from people that will feed his natural inclination to shut this all down. And that's, it's percolating. Whether he survives in his position long enough to ever execute is one question, uh, but if he had his options in front of him, he absolutely would end all this tomorrow, yeah. and we don't really know why. I've always been curious of where this like super passionate hatred of marijuana comes from. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, I used to think it was a generational thing, like, but then, I mean, you know, my parents are conservative Christians, mm-hmm. my and... Uh, my dad has, has seemed like declining health over the years. You know what helps him sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Marijuana. <laughs> Marijuana. And my mom, who used to just, you know, t- constantly tell me about how bad it was. She doesn't smoke pot, but she's also kind of like, yeah, it's, it's been pretty great for, for you, Dad. Well, and that's the real baffling thing. Um, for a president who's so obsessed with optics and his approval and, you know, polling, uh, that this medical marijuana is supported by 94% of the country um on the latest polling we have um that's 94 94% are a okay with medical I, I don't um, know I don't know what like what else you could get 94% approval on uh, these days you know grandma's apple pie maybe like you know it's it's rare there's not much that polls that high yeah uh but that's medicals up there uh this this year, we had a poll for legalization that was in the low 60%. But what made that even more important was that it was the first poll that had a majority support amongst Republican voters. Wow. Uh, so we finally crossed that 50% threshold with Republicans. It's even higher. Uh, Democrats and independents tend to be close to 70. Uh, so I don't know who Jeez. your audience here right. is. Um, and it's certainly not, you know, Bright Barty types either because they seem pretty pretty chill with with the marijuanas as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so we, unless he's pandering to that uh, super hardcore religious conservative base, but they're not going to be the ones who get him into office. This would be the most one of the most unpopular things he's done if he cracks down on the movement to reform marijuana laws, and that's really saying something. Giving the past twelve months, yeah. Well, let's 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 talk for a moment about. Um, it's not all about well, the power that Donald Trump has, mm-hmm. right? Because these are being voted on around the country. Uh, 
we look at the most recent elections uh, from November, early November, I think the two biggest standouts were um, Phil Murphy mm-hmm. uh, replacing Chris Christie as governor of New Jersey and Ralph Northam uh, elected in Virginia. Uh, how were they on the pot issue? Well, for Phil Murphy, I uh, will start with him up in New Jersey. Uh, he's incredible on this issue. Uh, he ran on this. He's probably the highest ranking successful candidate to have ever run so full-throatedly on legalizing marijuana. Wow, really? Uh, he made this, uh, he reached out to us during the primary process just to make it clear that even then that I'm on board for full legalization. New Jersey needs to go this way. I'd, you know, I'd like to have normal support doing this. Um, and we're going to move forward as soon as I as soon as I take office. Uh, and once he won that primary in his acceptance speech, he featured it there. He said, and he said a little bit more. He said, I want a legalization bill on my desk in the first hundred days of taking office. Uh, so then, that's awfully <laughs> Trumpy, by the way. It like, is. <laughs> I want this by day one hundred. That's I, I respect it. And now I liked it. Um, and it, he never shied away from it. Um, and even after he he won in the post election interviews, he said this was a huge part of the support I got, and I kind of have a mandate to go forward on this. So we'll work our way through the political process. That always have a, has a way to screw things up, sure. but sure. But it's certainly going to be on the agenda. Uh, <laughs> on that point, I I, I just I'm baffled. <laughs> I'm baffled at what the opposition is to this because you can run in a state mm-hmm. and say that you are for full legalization. We talked about the polls already and how popular weed is. Like, and and Phil Murphy ended up with sixty some percent of the vote, yeah, almost, uh, yeah. And that's the lesson I think people really should be watching as, as future candidates and as sitting politicians is that. This isn't a liability anymore. This gets you votes. This, yeah. I, I promise you that there are people in New Jersey that got off their ass and went out and voted for Phil Murphy for no other reason than this. Yep. Uh, particularly in a state like New Jersey where you don't really have the ability to do a ballot initiative to have a direct election. This was the marijuana ballot initiative in New Jersey, and it passed overwhelmingly. That's in interesting. It's like the Bernie Sanders phenomenon. There yep. were plenty of people who voted for Bernie purely because he was for decriminalization. Though even stranger, there were plenty of people who voted for Trump because they thought he was. Um, that's actually, in the political scene, um, oh a phenomenon that I've found just beyond comprehension is that to this day, I'll talk to people who support uh, Donald Trump, and they're insistent. He's a, he's a legalizer. He's a businessman. He'll never do anything against it, despite all the signs to the contrary. Well, so we'll get to that in yeah. a minute. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute cuz i have some more thoughts on that but but in virginia ralph northam ralph northam uh, Virgi- he- i mean that was considered to be a tough race he won it pretty handily but i mean that is a a purple state if we mm-hmm. if we're breaking this down to just political uh, uh talk here. yeah i think the lessons for marijuana out of virginia with northam uh are a little less severe than mm-hmm. new jersey in that you know it wasn't full legalization it was supporting mostly a a robust medical program and decriminalization and he didn't quite ingratiated in his platform as high. Uh, but it is important to note he wrote op-eds supporting decriminalization, talking about it from a social justice perspective, saying how we have racial disparities in our arrest, um, and really addressing a lot of those issues that we face and how it impacts mass incarceration and criminal justice. And just having him come out and do that in Virginia you know, is a sign in and of itself, uh, particularly because Virginia is already in the process of moving towards decriminalization, likely next year. Uh, this year, they put enjoined a study commission for decrim uh, actually pro- proposed by one of our former biggest opponents, uh, State Senator um, Tommy Norman, who is one of the leading Republicans in the State Senate, 
And he's coming around. He said, I want to do a study committee this year and then come back next year and we'll likely pass decriminalization, um, barring any unforeseen circumstances. So mm. now that we have Northam, Northam's victory, uh, a much more increased number of supportive Democrats in the House of Delegates down there, and, and a lot of the Republicans there even coming on board, it's looking like, you know, Virginia will always take the smaller step, but hopefully by this time next year we could be sitting here saying no one in Virginia is going to jail for simple possession at least. The other thing about Virginia is, uh, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. It is the headquarters for Philip Morris. Mm. Now, how does the tobacco industry play with the the marijuana industry? Oh, so far they really don't. Okay. Um, and. We've never actually, for whatever you read on some internet forums, we've never quite seen a super formalized opposition from them either. Okay. Um, in a way that we have from a number of uh, pharmaceutical companies and alcohol companies, um, we've actually seen them come out um, against it. Um, mm. There was a pharmaceutical company that donated like half a million dollars to oppose legalization in Arizona, uh, even as far back as uh, when we had Prop 19 in California in 2010. Uh, the alcohol distributors and those folks came out against us as well. But tobacco is kind of not. And I think um, kind of, you know, the hearsay I have is their leadership's a little bit divided because they clearly see the, the commonalities here. Um, you know, if we can grow tobacco and produce cigarettes, we can easily kind of shift gears and do and do marijuana. The pipeline's not that different. Sure. Um, but I think it's a generational divide, too. I think the younger folks that are working at places like Philip Morris – clearly see the opportunity the older folks are like don't want to touch it yeah um so that to our benefit has largely left them on the sidelines um, okay interesting. we'll see where they come out in the long run because right now it's too state-based there's no interstate commerce between legal states there's no real way to build a true kind of empire yeah that, that the capitalists that would be looking for that makes sense <laughs> um so we talked about new jersey we talked about virginia what other ballot initiatives or elections are we looking at for, let's say, later on in 2018? Uh, 2018, uh, the biggest will likely be Michigan. Okay. Uh, that'll be voting on full legalization. Uh, they just submitted their signatures, and they'll be going through you know, the approval process, and fingers crossed that gets on the ballot. That'll probably be a tougher fight than some other states, uh, but looking at what the makeup of 2018 is probably going to be, you know, a little um, most people seem to be expecting, especially based on this year's, uh, we'll see a lot more younger people come out, yeah. a lot more kind of left-wing people come out to vote, and that should hopefully tip the scales in Michigan. But even in places like Oklahoma, they'll be voting on medical, um, and they have a very robust medical program that's going to be up for a vote, actually. Probably one, really? of, the, one of the best we've seen. Um, it's In Oklahoma? In Oklahoma. And this was a purely volunteer, purely volunteer effort got this on the ballot. It was almost no one was paid. It was just grassroots. They got, collected the signatures, got it approved. It was supposed to be on the ballot this year. But the Secretary of State's office and all the other people over there in the state government filed a challenge. They kept it off the ballot, kept trying to push it back. They finally won. Uh, it's going to be on the ballot either in November of 2018 or it's possible they shove it. They have a special election coming up in the middle of the year. They might put it there. So um, Michigan and Oklahoma Michigan are the, Oklahoma two, would, the two big ones we're looking at. Would be the two to watch. Um Utah also has a medical marijuana initiative. Uh, it's almost the opposite of Oklahoma's, <laughs> though. Uh, Shock. Uh, no smoked cannabis, uh, no home cultivation, uh, restrictive conditions. It's so it's not a that one is 
is certainly not one to be as excited about. But just the fact that Utah is discussing it is. I was going to say, <laughs> look, I mean, if if I mean, the the fact that we're even there with Utah, I mean, I would imagine Utah probably be the last domino to fall. Yeah, uh, I don't think the you know as part of especially the Mormon culture out there, we're yeah. opposed to most things, even you know including caffeine. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding a way to to work marijuana into that discussion is wow. productive in the long run, regardless. Um. Any others that that are that are on the ballot that we should be looking at, or is those are the big ones? I mean, those are the really the yeah. big ones at state yeah. level. Actually, um, I did overlook uh, Missouri will be voting oh, on, okay. on medical marijuana, and that's a and that's a rather good initiative. Um, so we do expect that one probably to pass. Nice, because again, um, when you accept that the national baseline is somewhere around ninety percent, you almost don't have to run a campaign for medical marijuana. In a I lot was going to say, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I remember during the the campaign, I, I think it was Hillary actually that came out and said, "I am." supportive of medical marijuana we're like yeah oh bold stance gee (laughs) you know like who isn't at this point as you said what 94 percent yeah 94 percent um was the high we've seen but then so then you assume even in a place like oklahoma um, and we've seen state polls that back it up you're talking low to mid 70s yeah Uh, so you almost don't need you don't really almost need to put paid in and people will because it's important to still have the discussion and get the education effort take nothing for granted still make phone calls donate knock on doors but it does make it a lot easier than when we were talking about passing medical marijuana laws in you know the late '90s, early 2000s. I remember those days. <laughs> those were weird times, man. Those were weird times. Okay, so you you've hit on this a couple of times. I want to get right down into the meat of it. the The money mm-hmm. aspect. Um, if you are a capitalist and you're someone who believes in this, right, like. As all of you guys here at the Bill Press show. Oh, totally. Rapacious capitalists. Oh, totally. Uh, but, like, uh, let's just say you're Donald Trump, mm-hmm. who I think is probably a cartoonish example <laughs> of a capitalist, right? Like, he's a parody he's of Monopoly a man. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the business opportunities for this? Not just, you know, if you are a business owner, but, like, I mean, the states that have legalized it and taxed it. Um, which has been an argument for a long, yeah. long time. You know, make it legal, tax it. What are the benefits? Are what, what's what kind of benefits are those states seeing that are doing that? Well, they're seeing a lot. Other, you know, the obvious one you always hear about is the tax revenue. Um, but outside of that, uh, we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of. And this is before any of the new states really came online here. About 120,000 or so jobs have been created in the cannabis industry uh, since states have begun to legalize. 120,000. That's more than clean coal. Coal's coming back. <laughs> yeah, it's coming back, man. Oh yeah, man. Keep so hope alive. You just got to wash the coal, and then it'll. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's but uh, right. yeah, so about 120,000 jobs, and then you're talking about uh, in places like Colorado, they used to have a huge amount of abandoned warehouses and industrial space. You can't even buy a square foot in a warehouse anymore for you know a reasonable price because people are buying them up uh, for cultivation centers, for processing centers. Uh, so you're seeing them improve abandoned buildings. You're seeing new businesses, new jobs created, and like tangential industries, whether it's events, uh, you know, it's people that are small entrepreneur levels doing, you know, pay me thirty bucks and we'll do a little art class that you get high during. Um, there's all these things that people don't think about. Um, on top of the fact that when you replace abandoned buildings with actually operational businesses that have security guidelines, that lowers crime in a lot of neighborhoods. Mm. You increases foot traffic. So you have more eyes on the street, and you have security guards around. Uh, you have, obviously, the the benefits of the opioid crisis, which don't quite feed in the jobs. Um, but it, you know, states with medical and legal weed have greatly reduced um, opioid overdose and, and prescription usage. Uh, so we're talking 
the opportunity to really create this kind of model industry from the ground up, which is what I think is the unique opportunity in the legal marijuana space um, that we haven't really seen almost in a long time in this yeah. country, at least, where something's gone from completely black market to a completely above board. Um, and as long as um, normal's around, what we do argue for is we want to make sure that keeps focused on you know smaller businesses, lets consumers easy entryway into the market, um, kind of prizes diversity over you know monopolistic greed. Um, but that's going to still come in because it's you know it's America. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's big opportunities in certainly places like California where we're talking a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry right out of the gate. Um, the first year, I think they're expecting something like eight billion dollars in sales or something absurd. Eight um, billion. I believe that because well, this year Colorado has already crossed a billion dollars in sales just in That's Colorado. Amazing. That's a am- mm-hmm. that is amazing, and I, I mean, look, I'll appeal to whatever it is <laughs> that gets you on our side, right? Yeah. And if it's the money thing, cool, cool. What you know, earlier earlier in 2017, um, I ran into you at the marijuana business, the BizCon, the oh, yeah, business yeah, conference. Yeah. I saw you there. <laughs> Uh, and we went there and we covered it. We have a video up on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash BP show. But uh, Jamie and I went out there and the gadgets and the technology <laughs> and just the product. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that exhibition hall? <laughs> no, I mean, it was a giant exhibition hall with like super high tech machines that people are building. I, I, I was just astounded by how many different products yeah. are, are associated with the marijuana industry. I mean, when it comes to, like, labeling and obviously the grow lights, grinders, uh, actual glassware. I, I mean, it's just like this endless list of things that are tied to making sure that the marijuana industry runs the way that it should. Yeah. Yeah. Testing equipment, uh, particularly now with, you know, dabs and concentrates. You sure. need ways to process that and break it down. Uh, again, like that would have to be like a size of a football field in there with all kinds of machines I've never even seen before. Um, no, I was dumbfounded. It felt I like mean, Star Trek or something. It in there. really <laughs> was. Like, I and, and I felt, uh, you know, I, I was going up to these people that were running these stalls, just being like, "I've smoked pot for a long time. What is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, the the, I mean, we we don't have to go deep in the weeds mm. into it, but like, there are ways that they're being smarter about the product. And just the technology. I mean, I, I, I mean, the way that it's being applied is just mind-boggling. Yeah, and I think an important part of that, um, from the consumer perspective, is the increase in technology as it relates to testing for things like pesticides and other contaminants. And also, as we, there was a recent study in, I believe it was, I could be wrong, it was either California or Colorado, um, where they did a spot check on a number of their dispensaries there. And the labeling was just way off. They were saying, you know, it said like 18% THC. Sometimes it was 24% THC instead. Um, so we need improvements in that area. So a consumer knows what they're getting. If you read the label, you want to know the exact potency. You want to know the breakdown of the different cannabinoids. Uh, you want the, That's information we want. And you want to know it's clear of things like mold and mildew and pesticides. Yeah. And that's a whole multi-million dollar industry now in and of itself. Uh, you mentioned California. I, w- I want to park it on California for just a moment okay. because uh, we're just a couple days away from January 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a mess. Uh, is it going <laughs> to be a mess? That's kind of what I want to ask you. I mean, I'm, 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 frankly, I'm shocked that it's taking California this long. Bill, as a lifelong Californian, talks about his shame <laughs> of, of California being so late to the game yep. here with the marijuana legalization play. But uh, you say it's going to be a mess. Why? Well, simply uh, because local politicians seem to be doing what they can to kind of really mess this up a little bit, at least kind of drag their feet. 
Um, a lot of counties have, you know, either opted out of having retail marijuana stores or are kind of changing their regulations on the fly. So while January 1st, I don't mean there will be a mess and there will be chaos in the streets or anything like Understood. that. Understood. Um, in that um, a lot of people are expecting come January 1st, then go to anywhere in their town and find a marijuana store and, and just buy it by being the nature of being over 21. Uh, that won't be the case in a lot of places. Um, so a lot of the some of the cities will be online January 1st. Some of these places may not be online for another six months still um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of local oversight they're attempting to exert, uh, kind of adding their own flavor to it, despite the fact it's mostly unnecessary. We've seen how this worked in, you know, eight states up to this point. So they're tweaking around with it a little too much. Um, and I think that people are going to realize that day when they go down to their, you know, medical dispensary um, that they thought, you know, it's January 1st. I could, you know, it's anyone can go here now um, that it won't be quite operational and by a good chance where they are. Um, what are some of the real success stories? Because, I mean, look, it, it is sort of, I mean, it's relatively new for us, right, mm. this world that we're getting into. But, I mean, when you talk about it being well run, what does that look like? Well, I, th- I think Colorado is a pretty yeah. solid example of, of how a well-run industry looks. Uh, certainly, they had some bumps in the road early going, but they were the first state to ever try this. Sure. So, um, you know, sure. But still, I would say they're one of the ones who uh, did it incredibly well, um, particularly when they had made sure you know they had written in their language home cultivation. Um, you know, have you been out to Colorado? And, uh, I actually haven't. Sale? I actually haven't since it's been legal, and I feel I've paid the price for it. I'll tell you, I was I was out in Aspen earlier this year okay. um, for uh, one of our legal seminars, and you would think this was a high-end showroom. It was beautiful wood paneling, glass lit cases. It was it was you like you were in a Gucci store or something. <laughs> um, and it's the furthest thing uh, that people tend to think when they're like when they hear our opponents, at least or people on the fence here, marijuana store. Yeah. They think some like you know. Guy in dreadlocks funneling yeah. stuff out the back of the yeah, 7-Eleven exactly. or Yeah, exactly. A uh, garage on the bad part of town. But these are, by and large, um, extremely professional, clean, and impressive places. And it just works. Uh, you know, by and large, youth use is down. Uh, we've not seen a spike in drug driving or drug driving-related accidents. Uh, we've seen tons of tax revenue coming in with a huge portion of that going to new school construction. Uh, it's hard to really see where the negative pot, like chicken little stuff that uh you know our opponents said would happen would happen um and we've seen other states you know play around the edges and improve on it places like Oregon have like higher possession limits and plan counts um you know unfortunately Washington state actually is still the only place without home cultivation but their legislature is working on considering that reversal so they're learning from each other and that's kind of you know yeah. the point right yeah, um, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. we have laboratories of uh, democracy here that are are experimenting with different ideas um, and as one state lands on something that's a really good regulation, other states are beginning to adopt it. Uh, so it's an evolving process. It's been a really weird 2017. Has it? Uh, all across, <laughs> across the board. <laughs> um, but we've talked to you a couple times here on the show just about sort of how how uh, precarious the situation is, right? We've only got about a couple minutes left. But I want to ask you, what are some of your predictions for 2018 when we look at what's ahead for the the legal marijuana situation. Well, I've largely given up yeah. make, making political predictions Probably since smart. Of, uh, maybe around November of 2016. <laughs> same. Uh, same. People ask me that all the time like how's this race going to go? What do you and I'm like I don't I, I, have I, no I, I don't know anymore. I yeah. just don't know. Uh but what I can tell you is that 
just looking at trend lines, our support's going to continue to grow. More places are going to come online. More places are at least going to dial back criminal penalties. Uh, for instance, this year, our Kansas City chapter of Normal ran a local initiative that decriminalized marijuana in Kansas City. Uh, ended up getting 74% of the vote there. Uh, so that was approved. We're going to see people finding ways to work around a uh, recalcitrant federal government. Yeah, um, yeah. And as long as they don't drop that boot, which, again, could happen any time, it would take just a couple threatening DOJ letters, raising one RICO case against a large player to really chill the industry side. Yeah. Um, but, again, they can never take back the removal of criminal penalties at the state level. They're not going to send DEA agents in to arrest someone for smoking a joint in their backyard in Denver. Um, we're going to see the people continue to push this forward. And if they choose to come down against us, it's going to be an incredible backlash um, that's going to really just you know hurt their chances even further politically. Great conversation with the executive director of Normal, Eric Altieri. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Uh, always a pleasure to be here. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press. That's right. We've been giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration all year. One of the uh, biggest weapons we have in the fight against Donald Trump is beer. Because <laughs> frankly, if you've gone through 2017 sober, boy, I feel bad for you. We are doing a special look back at some of our favorite stories, some of our favorite issues from 2017, and we're also celebrating the holidays in this, the week of Christmas. So we are not live, but we have brought in some of our very good friends to help us celebrate the season, and one of our very good friends, Greg Ingert. He is the uh, beverage director, the man who knows all things about beer for the Neighborhood Restaurant Group, owner of such wonderful places as the Blue Jacket uh, Brewery here in Washington, D.C., and runs another great beer bar, Church Key, and a lot of other great places around Washington. If you come to Washington, D.C., and you want to drink some phenomenal beer, just find out where Greg's going to be. He'll make sure you're well (laughs) taken care of, I I I promise. Good to see you, man. You too, buddy. So I wanted to talk about some of your favorite beers for uh-huh. the season and some of your tips for um, for drinking over the holidays. Because, <laughs> look, we're all going to be seeing a lot of people that we're not used to seeing uh-huh. necessarily. Uh, but first of all, I want to ask you, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the Trump administration in this year. People are drinking more with President Donald Trump in America. That's just indisputable. There are facts to the point to the, that, that yes, people are there drinking are statistics more. statistics that tell us this, yes. Yeah. Sure. Uh, as a very dedicated drinker, I do believe in drinking seasonally. Uh, and look, like there are, you know, gozes and sour beers that I spend a lot of the summer drinking. Totally. And so now we've switched to where it is very cold in a lot of parts of the country, a lot of part, different areas of the country. And it's a little harder to drink those sort of chuggable, pound your your, your beers, right, when it's Absolutely. so cold out. So how does drinking seasonally change in the winter? What do we, like, Oh, it's all, you know, it's just, what do we you see? got it. I mean, it's, it's, it's classic, dark, strong, richer, heavier, fuller-bodied beers, sipping beers rather than drinking beers like yeah. you said uh you know and that's this is something that's gone on for for decades i mean yeah. going back to the beginning of you know holiday beer traditions in american craft and like the 
uh, late 70s, early 80s, for the most part, when it comes to the holiday season, we're going back to like all those big, huge, strong beers that were made around, uh, you know, in the colder months and in, in Europe uh, centuries ago and concentrating on the stronger, the darker, uh, the, the more complex um, beers. And, but that said, what's really cool with 30,000 beers coming out all the time, there are going to be outliers. And so, sure. you know, a lot of brewers are realizing that, well, if everybody makes that imperial stout or everybody makes that barrel-aged barley wine or that spiced holiday beer, then there certainly is going to be an opening in the market for that winter goza or, or like that IPA. I mean, one of the most classic delicious beers on the planet comes out every year at the same time. It's called Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale. Mm -hmm. You see it, 12 packs are ridiculously affordable. Mm -hmm. It's incredible beer. It tastes exactly the same every year. And this is a holiday IPA, you know, based on the first crop of fresh. I wish I'd brought some now that I'm doing this. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, it's, but another thing I think is fascinating, sorry to go on a tangent, about Sierra Pale Ales, or Sierra Celebration. First off, if you love IPAs, there you go. You yeah. got a hoppy beer you in your fridge. It's seasonally available. It's only available for the short time every year. And there you go. But a lot of uh, seasonal beer is not based, of course, on on seasonal change. You, know, sure, you do have sure. some that are concentrating, like on one of the beers we're going to drink today, has pomegranate in it. Mm. If you are relying on fresh pomegranate, that's going to be winter beer. Pomegranate you know? is a superfood. So I'm not saying I'm a health nut, but if we drink some pomegranate uh, beer. If you yeah. want to balance out the heavy eating, just go ahead and drink a beer with pomegranate. Right, in it. exactly. Yeah, I don't right, feel so totally. bad about it. So uh, let's talk about some seasonal beers that you have here in front of us, Greg. Let's yeah. let's let's taste a couple. What uh, let's what's the first one you want to start with, and tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so the first one we're going to do um, is from probably the coolest Quebecois brewery that oh, nice. I've come across. Um, it's called Brasserie Dunham, and they're from uh, they're about an hour and a half from Montreal, right near the Vermont border um so you know a uh, really cool place near you know where all the quebecois apple orchards are for cider making and among the cheesemakers down there um they've been around for a long time their new ownership um came in in uh 2011 and that's really when things got amazing and so this is called resurrection Thanks, of Rotorus, and this is that smells so good one of those ones that kind of flies in the face of of the standard holiday beer and this is the pomegranate healthy Ooh. craft beer that we were talking about cheers, i smell guys. the fruit yeah cheers. i do too cheers happy cheers. holidays cheers. let's get it happy holidays all right so um the base beer here is a sort of saison farmhouse ale which is a um a, a very broad term but you know blonde in color right yeah which just explodes yeah. and it's got pomegranate it's also got some maple syrup because it's canadian yeah and I didn't um, catch that at first. The well, that's and that's. I do know that you mentioned it though. Yeah, it's it's a hint though. It's it's there. They referment it in bottle with Britannomyces, which is a uh, a yeast that uh, is incredibly strong. It's going to chew through lots and lots of sugars, and it's going to produce a little bit of a a rustic edge to this beer, a slight hint of funk. <clears throat> And promote some of those more citric aspects that I think. Well, as we continue to explore down the line of the Christmas beers and winter beers that you brought, what do you have up next? So next we're going to go to France. This is a good friend of mine. His name is Daniel Thierrier. Um, his brewery. This has Santa Claus on the uh, on the on the label, so you know it's a Christmas beer. <laughs> yeah, they write it right. Yeah, Bière de Noël. Um, and, and and that's actually an interesting point too. The the Belgians and French are, are far less uh, worried about <laughs> calling these things like Christmas beer. Yeah, sure. You know, like they're just like this is what it is. Yeah, and they've been making it for a long time. So um, Thierrier is 
an incredible producer. It's the best French brewery. Uh, my it's opinion. a soccer player, right? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and um, these guys. So Danielle. This oh, this looks a little darker. A little oh, bit darker, boy. but still. We're um, not at diesel yet. But no, we're no, 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 no. This, yeah, this definitely is, is a little bit darker. Um, oh, wow. That smells like Christmas. Escobec is the town where this is in the Haute, Haute de France region, so Nord Pas de Calais. It's right near Dunkirk, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and so right near the Belgian border. It smells like uh, like sweet potatoes almost. Yeah. It's got a lot of foam here. Where, where do you stand on the uh, the head, getting rid of the head of the beer with the nose grease? You ever done that trick before? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I wanted I to was, ask you about I, that. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask you about that because that's an old trick from college. If you it's don't a little know. disgusting. I would say wipe that, the nose grease and stick it one in. Good, uh, one good uh, rule of thumb, or pun nose. intended, uh, is to <laughs> not put your hands in. Into the liquid. Yeah. Oh, okay. There we yeah. go. All right. So that'll, I mean, well, just there. it's done now. Worked all the time when I got those foamy uh, <laughs> cups from the kegger when I was in college. Yeah, but uh, just, It's just different when you put your hey, fingers man, in the natty light. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always love doing it to friends. You know how you take the head off? Here, let me just wipe the nose grease off and stick my uh, my finger in it. And and you know what? For those kinds of beers, yeah, do everything you can to make it drinkable. That's right. The, thing, you know, like, <laughs> right. So the foam's got to subside, cold as hell, and just pound it. For these beers... Foam is great, and so we love to encourage head on beers. Um, there hey is now. all those aromas. Sorry, I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> uh, all of the um, all those aromas in the beer are coming up and getting kind of caught in this net of foam. So as the foam subsides, without finger uh, interplay, um, <laughs> it will just hey it'll release even more uh, aromas from the glass. This is a really you said sweet potato. I, I did smell like sweet, like roasted yeah. sweet potatoes. Like totally. when I think when I make ro- like sweet potato casserole yeah. on uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, this reminds me of that smell of it cooking in the oven. Totally, just just right off the top. I just it's smell like a what it is. Very... So when you look at this color, right? This is amberish uh, hue. This comes from the the toasting of the malt during the malting process. So the beer has like a kind of seared. Toasted, yeah. slight roasty character. Yes, it's rich. It's it's malty. It's bready. So it totally has all of that. Um, I get um, a lot of. This tastes bit of spice. like like you said. Like it tastes like a holiday bread. Uh, honestly, yeah. I'm ready totally. for an image of Santa Claus to appear in the head. <laughs> you don't see beer. it, bro. You don't see it. I see <laughs> like it. with those fancy lattes. You know yeah. what I mean. A few more beers, and you'll see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so t- tell me again, like what goes into this beer? Because it's a very unique beer. Yeah, so so Thierry is really, I mean, he's it's a French producer, but he's he's drawing on the same kind of southern Belgian um, tradition of farmhouse brewing, uh, making bone dry beers that are mm. r- slightly rustic, very complex. You know, the kind of in the saison tradition. So for the holidays, he's adding much richer malt character. So like comparing these two, you know, this is like blonde in color, yeah, very light and and, and clean. This has much more mouthfeel to it, has more of that toasted nuttiness, um, toffee, slight bits of caramel. So there's that. But the yeast character is still there. You still get a little bit of a grassy citric note. It's a holiday beer, so he's hitting it up with a little bit of spicing, but it's all, it's not overwhelming. This isn't potpourri. There's a little bit yeah. of allspice, a little bit of orange peel, but it's everything's in its right place. And then the best part, as I think, is that it still finishes dry. It's not flabby. It's not sweet on the palate. Um, and incredible mouthfeel from that effervescence as well. You know, I brought up I brought up a beer myth uh, just a few minutes ago. I want to bring up another one, see if you can dispel it for me. So I, I'm looking at the table here. We have three dark bottles and one green bottle, the green bottle with the beer we just drank. Mm-hmm. 
I've always heard that beer that travels in green bottles or lighter bottles like Corona uh, don't hold up as well because of light exposure. That's is, true. Is, that's true? 100% really? true. And that's why so often beers like Corona and Heineken have a skunked yeah. character to them. Heineken Basically. can smell like weed when you open it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's Not a, that I've yeah. done it any, yeah, any time I, recently. I wouldn't know. It's <laughs> really, it's, so when light strikes beer, which it does more easily through a green bottle than a dark bottle, it can rearrange the chemical compounds of the hops mm-hmm. that are made in the beer to give it flavor and bitterness. And so even a beer that is as lightly hopped as, say, Heineken or Corona can be transformed into skunk, something that has a, more of like a, a skunking mm. quality to it. That said, there is a certain degree of, like with some of these like farmhouse ales, this one holds up better because it's got darker flavors, so yeah. you're not going to uh, taste sure. the, the hop skunking as much here. Yeah, But... Tyrie makes a beer called Extra, which is a blonde, bone-dry, low-alcohol saison that, when it travels in green bottle, picks up just a hint of that skunk kind of funky quality that a lot of beer connoisseurs, including myself, people that love great saisons, actually appreciate. So it enhances the beer. It, in, in, good, in great beer, in it could be an enhancement. Beer, yeah. That is yeah. nuts. Yeah. But in, in terrible um, beer that is flavorless or otherwise, don't do that. Wow. You know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you, you your description of that, of how it's so balanced, and it, it does have that little bit of bite at the end, um, but not not real spicy, not like a spicy No, bite, all, just... all integrated. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, what else do we have? So I think next we'll do something that's a little bit more like um, the uh, classic holiday beer. This is the St. Bernardus okay. Christmas Ale. All right. Yeah. By the way, while you're opening that, I just want to ask you, you see a lot of winter warmer beers. What does that mean exactly? Mm. It it can mean a lot of things. I'm not sure if I'm going to get this off. Um, (laughs) uh, It can mean a lot of things. A lot of times it means that it's a spice beer, like Harpoon Winter Warmer is probably the most classic American example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge on cinnamon, nutmeg, clove. Um, But in in the old days, it could just mean something that's rich and malty. Slightly strong. Okay. Um, that's basically what it was. But, but usually they're pretty strong beers. Yeah. They tend to be. Hey, so all right. See uh, that technique, yeah, by the that way? That's pretty good, man. Um, this man is a professional. <laughs> so, St. Bernard's Christmas Ale. This is classic Belgian strong dark ale for the holidays. I was going to say, this looks like maple syrup being alcohol. Ported. Hello. Um, Re-ferments in a bottle. Beautiful effervescence. Really great. Ooh, creamy man, rich mouthfeel. So you're saying we're going higher than 10% because we have one more bottle after this. <laughs> yeah, we are. And that's, yeah, we are. Oh, <laughs> dear God. Happy <laughs> holidays. For those of you that don't know, we're recording this at 10 a.m. in the morning, which means the rest of my day is officially done. Wow, that smells so good. Amazing, isn't it? This is also a bottle that I've aged since 2016. So this is about a year on it, um, which has helped it to just really just become even more subtly nuanced. Everything is is falling into the right place. Man, all right. Oh, wow. I'm going to have a sip of this. I'm trying to peg what I taste, but there's so much going on. Tell me what you taste. Ooh, that tastes like courage. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, tastes just, delicious. Like, it's amazing. But, I mean, imagine. So, the, these these guys have – St. Bernard's is a fantastic uh, West Flemish brewery from Belgium, um, not far from the French border, actually. And they make incredible strong ales. App 12 is one that you see around a lot, ABT 12, and they make those in magnums and in three-liter bottles 
five liter, nine liter bottles. Like you can find some of those, which is really crazy. Easy there, big fella. <laughs> you want to be careful if you see one of those. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm with you. I'm trying to I peg like what it is. It it's a delicious beer. Like it's a little sourish. Like it, like there is a, a sour quality to it, but it, I, not nearly as much as like a sour ale or a sour beer. It's just yeah, no, yeah, I can see that. It's not as much sour or acidic. It's just kind of like. I think it's more like fruit, yeah, fruity um, on the palate. Yeah, um, it's almost like I get like a leafy taste out of it. In, yeah, in a sense. There's a, yeah a little bit of that, kind of a slight herbal quality in the finish. I get a lot of um, apricot. Oh. Is the fruit that I notice a lot in there? Bingo. Um, Makes sense, man. And then a lot of like um, almondy characteristics, um, hints of cocoa. I said about the last beer that we drank, the beer to Noel, that it, it tasted almost like a holiday bread or a holiday cake. Totally. This tastes way. Uh, this tastes this is it. Yeah, this yeah, is a yeah, holiday yeah. cake. I mean, right down to like the it has notes of like port wine to yep. it. You know, yeah. it's like candied fig quality. It tastes boozy, right? Like a lot of them, these they'll sneak up on you. You know, like but you're not getting beers. it here. That's the thing. no, yeah, exactly. Right, right. I mean, you definitely taste the strength. Yep. You know, yeah. um, in the same way that you would with like you know anything strong, but at the same time, it's not hot. You're not smelling right. like fusel alcohol or anything like that right, on the right, right. You know, as we're talking about beer that tastes like Christmas food or Christmas desserts, what's your view on the gingerbread stout? I'm seeing that a lot this year. I I, I, I never really venture in that way. It's it, incredible. Yeah, it's so good. I've, I've had the Hardywood gingerbread stout, and they so make a good. whole. Um, and they're you know, f- to be honest, they're very close friends of mine, but uh, but they. <laughs> Their, their beers are phenomenal, and they make a whole range now. So there's gingerbread stout. Then they come out with bourbon barrel-aged GBS, bourbon GBS. Then there's Christmas morning, which is GBS with coffee. Ooh. Then there's Kentucky Christmas morning, which is bourbon barrel-aged GBS with coffee. Wow. And they have like, a rum barrel one, they have I a, think. Yep, they have yeah. a rum barrel. They have a double barrel, which is bourbon and rum blended. <laughs> it's just... Is there any Christmas foods that are off limits? Uh, for example, uh, there was a fruitcake in the studio earlier. Would you ever imagine a fruitcake beer? Could that work? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. I think you don't even... But you wouldn't even need to, like... Add, you could just create that from nothing more than yeast, water, malt, and hops, which is like what this beer... And it yeah. tastes like fruitcake already. Yeah, because hmm. um, yeah, this... I mean, it, it this this does resemble fruitcake. Totally. Yeah. I don't I mean, see that. It's incredible. The other thing I think to think is that it is okay for, like, for me, sweet stouts that have a lot of spice are delicious. Mm-hmm. You might not want to drink them year round or a lot of them, but like this whole, there's a huge craze now for what's called pastry stouts. And these are stouts that are sweet and they, you know, they might have peanut butter in them or like uh, Oreos or like you name it, cho- like tons of chocolate, vanilla, coffee. Mm-hmm. And they literally are created to taste like dessert. And I think gingerbread stout is one of the kind of progenitors of that movement. Hmm. All right, so we have one beer left on the table, Greg, and I think we saved the best for last. Uh, what do we have here? This is just one of those stouts. Um, so this is from Blue Jacket. Look at that pour. <laughs> There's the diesel right Yamaha. there. <laughs> that looks very good. Um, and I can explain. So interestingly, when you talked about the thing about uh, – Putting oh your, god, that your smells so good! Grease into the and, and killing head. This beer is uh, there's none. So many adjuncts in it. So it has vanilla beans, cinnamon sticks, um, dude, <laughs> cocoa nibs, ancho chili peppers. There's so much in it that it literally just kills the foam. That's why it comes out. Wow, like, really? Yeah, like How does that work? Just the same way that you talked to oils. The same thing you were talking about with your fingers. 
in the oh, glass. Look wow. at that. We've come full vanilla circle. Vanilla bean is filled with oil. So like the more vanilla you add, this smells the amazing. Less... I haven't have a sip. This is I'm just enjoying. Like, I want a candle that smells like this. Unbelievable. Yeah. So this has been aged in um, for six months. We age it in a, in different in Heaven Hill bourbon barrels, Jim Beam, and Buffalo Trace. Mm-hmm. And then we, <laughs> which one? That's All so the... <laughs> good. That's so good, man. And then we blend it, and then we smack it with cinnamon, vanilla, uh, cocoa nibs, and, and chili peppers. Um, it's called Bourbon Double Mexican Radio, and uh, it's actually a beer we release in the fall around the time of our anniversary. Blue Jacket just turned four, and uh, yeah, and I actually have a few bottles left, so I can... And for those that don't know, Blue Jacket, located in the Navy Yard neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Yeah, uh, that's our brewery, yeah. Happening spot, right uh, just a couple of blocks from Nationals Park, where the Washington Nationals play their baseball uh, in the summer times. And Blue Jacket, every, you know, no matter the time of year, always a great place to hang out with friends and drink good beer and eat good food. Folks, this is 12% alcohol. And honestly, Uh, that- It is a booze kind of I kind of closed my eyes. (laughs) Because I don't really know where it came out, but I, I think it's 12. It could be 13. Okay. Well, here's the thing. If Fair. you've had too much bourbon over the first couple of days of Christmas vacation, instead of uh, a bourbon nightcap, you God, have this as your nightcap. That nightcap-cap. is everything I love. Because there's a lot of bourbon that comes through just totally, based yeah. off the barrels. But Exactly, but not in the heat. It's just in the, like the flavor. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. intense. Really quickly, uh, we got a few more things to talk about. We're just about out of time. I wanted to ask you about... Uh, speaking of Blue Jacket, the Officers Club. What are you guys doing there? Because there's you guys, you guys are really doing some cool stuff. Yeah, so we, um, like I said, we're four year olds now, four years old now. So we we waited, but we're we got, all four year olds at heart, Greg. <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> all, all of us together. Uh, we have a ton of really cool barrels that are filled with really delicious beers. Some of them filled with stouts, others with barley wine, strong ales, you name it. Uh, and then we have sour barrels that are filled with you know mixed yeast beers and spontaneous beers and all sorts of things. So we want to figure out a way to best deliver these to these these barreled beers uh, once packaged to our best guests, you know, the people that love Blue Jacket the most. So we started this thing called the Officers Club. I think we still have some memberships available. And when you join the Officers Club in 2018, you're going to get two different bottles of six different releases throughout the year. So you get, end up with a dozen amazing beers like this. Um, and That's worth it alone. I mean, yeah, just oh, yeah, go totally. check that out. But then seriously. on top of it, we're going to start doing canning. Um, so some of our, you know, not as intense beers, like those that, you know, you drink every day, our IPAs, our, our, our lagers and stuff like that, we're going to start canning. And with this membership, you get access to cans that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. So go to bluejacketdc.com. I imagine you guys have some information about that Absolutely, there. Absolutely, yeah. I want to ask you really quickly, We don't again, we don't have much time, but you mentioned about uh, one of the beers, I believe it was the uh, the Christmas ale, um, that you'd been aging this. You've been letting it sit. Mm-hmm. Talk about the difference, like, when it's okay to hang on to a beer and when it's appropriate to drink it right away. Right. So if it's hoppy, drink mm-hmm. it right away. Okay. If it's crisp, clean, and refreshing, drink it right away. Lagers, Pilsners, Kolsch, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is strong and dark, lay it down. When you do that, though, don't age it in your fridge. The fri- fridges are designed to be um, dry. That will, like for this, the cork... Yeah. We'll shrivel up and then you'll get too much oxidation. Don't do that. Okay. Leave it in a cool, dark place, cellar if you have one, hmm. and then pull it out and taste it when, when you want to. Um, things that are blonde in color, stay away from a little bit. They tend to show oxidative mm. qualities. They tend to taste like a little bit um, too oxidized too quickly. Um, and things that are sour also will last for a good bit of time because uh, the acidity fights off 
uh, a lot I of the I have a evolution. beer from Stillwater that it says it's not going to expire until like next, what, December or something? That's Beautiful. I mean, that's- Beautiful. Dude, Which one is it, yeah? The tro- uh, Tropic Punch, the Hawaiian Punch beer that they made. Yeah. You can be, I'll, just, I'll drink that one right away, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's just what I'm gonna do tonight. Things that are that are like intense, like fruit forward, hop forward, drink it right away. Things that are big and bold are gonna mellow, you're gonna get subtle nuance and evolution over time. Uh do, so I, we, do I have time to ask one quick question? We can plenty of time. We actually oh, have sorry. more time than I thought. Uh, so. one quick question here. Uh New Year's is coming up as well. Uh a lot of folks resort to drinking just champagne, right? as you ring in the yeah. new year. Uh, for those, you folks, mean the champagne of beers, right? The sh- right, Miller High Life. <laughs> uh, for those who are not drinking champagne or Miller High Life, what's a beer that you recommend to ring in the new year? Oh, that's a great. And question. by the way, one thing to remember about that is remember you've got to pace yourself on New Year's. There are a lot of oh, amateurs. There are a lot of amateurs out there that feel like they got to go hard in the paint, starting at like. <laughs> Seven o'clock on New Year's Eve. You got to make it for a while. And that's okay. me on July Fourth. Yeah, 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 right, right. You got to make it for the whole night. You know, I mean, well, if we're talking about that, we'll just, you know, the answer to that question could be so many things. But I would say, um, if we're going to be responsible and try to go all night uh, with this, with drinking, stick with one of the greatest things that's happening in craft beer right now is there's been this renaissance in craft brewed pilsners and lagers, mm. beers that are just beautifully made, very, very. Um, you know, they're complex without being overly intense. You don't have to aromatically investigate them. You can just kind of drink them mindlessly yeah. but know that you're getting full flavor. You're getting an artisan's hand behind them. Uh, and, and and some of my favorites on that end are really, really available, like Victory Brewing Company from Downingtown, PA. Yep. They make Prima Pills. It is still one of the greatest Pilsners uh, available anywhere. Um, Pivo Pills from Firestone Walker, exact same idea. And if you are in the D.C. area, come and check out at Blue Jacket. We have this amazing called Hellas Lager, Pale Lager, low yeah. alcohol. It's called For the Company, mm-hmm. and you can just drink it all night. It is an, an awesome beer. Maybe. It's also like, you know, if you want to drink something like relatively low alcohol or a chugging beer, as I affectionately call it, <laughs> um, and you only know Miller Lite or Bud Light, right, until you've had a a well-crafted version of that. Yeah, you probably don't like it. No, of course. You probably don't like Bud Light or Miller Lite, <laughs> yeah, but if yeah. you've had a really well-crafted, like, from a local brewery or someone who gives a damn yeah. about it, then, like, it could be a really good beer. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, why would I go back? I mean, another great example, there's a brewery out of Texas called Jester King. A phenomenal yeah. brewery, yeah. very well-known. Um, and they just make amazing beers. One of their quote-unquote flagships, a beer that they make more often than not, is called Petite Prince. And, and actually, the original version of that beer was a collaboration with Daniel Thierrier. Oh, wow. Um, and Escobac. So this beer is incredibly delicious, full-flavored. It's, it's kind of funky, kind of farmhouse ale tradition. And it's only 2.9% alcohol. <laughs> what? I mean, but you, would, like, you taste it. I mean, you know, I've never heard of a beer lower than like 4.8. That's pretty low. It is super but that's lovely. great. But with all the character coming from the fermentation, you wouldn't know it. And hmm. it, it's just, it, it's an it's an amazing beer. And uh, we have a place called The Sovereign in yeah. D.C. Have you been there? I have, actually. Yeah, yeah. I finally have you dipped, been there? dipped in there. Not been to The Sovereign It's over, over in Georgetown. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. We concentrate on Belgian beers and Belgian-inspired beers. Mm-hmm. And Petite Prince is one of the bottles we always have. Uh, and a lot of our um, our regulars come in and drink it like crazy because they just are like, this is amazing. I mean, 2.9%. 
So to sum it up, I think what you're saying is you sort of transition away from the heavier, darker beers or your IPAs as well after Christmas, go into the new year feeling good about yourself, still drinking beer, but drinking some of the, the lighter beers, the yeah. pills, the lagers, yeah. the low ABVs. You got it. But there you can go. still drink some of this pomegranate beer, too. You know, yeah, yeah. That goes oh, of course. It's a superfood. I'm keeping that on deck. <laughs> yeah. It's a superfood. Yeah. All right, Jamie, uh, we've had four delicious beers here uh, for the, uh, the the holidays. I honestly think, and I'm not just kissing your ass here because you're here, Greg, but the, the Mexican radio, that's that's my favorite beer that I, I've had. That is everything I want in like a cold weather, warm me up, like yeah. beer. There's a lot going on. There's a lot sure. going on. Yeah, I like totally. it. I, I would have to agree. If I'm drinking something over the holidays, I'm picking the Mexican radio. However, I was truly wowed by yeah. this pomegranate yeah, beer. Uh, it's just... Uh, 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 shocked by like, yeah, as someone who drinks gosas in the summertime and even in the early fall, this is certainly not a gosa. The saison qualities come out, and but the fruitiness really does. It's delicious. It, it sort of gives me the this this rare life, you know. Yeah. In, in and the there is just time. a little bit of like acidity from the fruit in there, like yeah. a little bit of malic yeah. acid that just is just very lively and bright. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we got like one minute left. So the last question I'm going to ask for you: uh, All these beers kind of feel like. I'm drinking a meal, right? <laughs> I mean, in, in the sense that like, there's a lot going on. They're relatively heavy beers. Yep. If you were going to drink a beer with, let's say, a holiday dinner, what's some? What are some things to like stay away from, like in terms of a beard? I mean, you, like, do you want to find something that's like super flavored or fruit forward or anything like that? Or what? What, what do we want to find that like will go with different things? I, this comes right back to what we were talking about earlier. The name of the game today is diversity of of styles. I mean, mm. the availability of not just beer, but of great beer is out there. So yeah. what I always suggest for people looking to do some fun stuff on during the holidays is to open two or three different beers, the same way you should really be doing with wine. Sure. Um, and have them open so that you can kind of taste along with the meal as it progresses. Because, frankly, to say that something like uh, St. Bernard's Christmas Ale is going to be great for every aspect of your meal would be... Totally false. I mean, you're not going to bust that out at the beginning of the meal. You want that more for the end. So what I, I tend to say is to have something brighter, um, say Belgian style. It doesn't have to be light or low in alcohol, but something like Saison or Triple, um, Strong Blonde Ale, open at, at, at once. And then also have something that's dark and kind of uh, rich on the palate, open at the same time. And and then maybe something dessert-like, like Double Maxi yeah, at the finish. Yeah, yeah. You know? so. Uh, I like to have a, a bunch of different things open. It's kind of the way you pace us through this interview, right, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. We win yeah. through our own little holiday meal, but yeah. I probably should have put more food in my stomach before starting <laughs> this. <laughs> but yeah, totally. I mean, think about it. That's exactly how I think of Of course, think about it. Like, you start with the broderist, the pomegranate, um, move into something like the, the Tyria Beard of Noel, which is great with all sorts of meat and vegetables. Um, toasted, it, it's seared itself, so it's going to pick up on searing flavors you're going to have. The, the lamb is going to call for the Christmas ale, and then for all manner of desserts, you're going to have this imperial stout. Hell, I'm just going to have that for dessert. Or just have that. <laughs> screw the pie. Yeah, screw the pie. All right, Greg Engert from Neb Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, he runs Blue Jacket. He runs Church Key. He runs The Sovereign. Lots of great beer bars around Washington, D.C. Uh, check him out, bluejacketdc.com, to see what they're pouring and see what they have. Greg, thanks so much for being here, man. Thank I really you, appreciate it. Cheers. Happy holidays, y'all. Cheers. Cheers. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.